Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining, sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining. Welcome to the May 6th edition of Pause I Am Radio. I'm so excited to be back on air after being off last week. Um, I was in Chicago as a part of Healthy Voices Conference that goes on, and it was absolutely amazing. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank uh, Jansen for allowing uh, the opportunity to happen, for giving uh, safe space to us online health advocates to go and just share and and learn. Um, we heard uh, from people from WebMD, from YouTube, from Twitter, um, who were there to basically teach us how to reach an audience better uh, as health advocates online. I've met so many amazing people there. Uh, I flew in on Wednesday and uh, immediately uh, was hooked up with uh, the HIV advocates because we were there a day earlier for an event that goes on called Purposeful Connections. Um, and it brings advocate, HIV advocates from across the United States and the globe to uh, share with one another a day of uh, just connecting with one another, uh, bouncing ideas off. Uh, we had an amazing guest. Uh, speaker this year for Purposeful Connections, uh, Yolo uh, came in and shared uh, about self-care and how important it is to take care of ourselves as advocates because we're always helping one another and and wanting to help others that sometimes we have to take a step back for self-care and and just care about ourselves and to make sure we're, you know, nourishing our body and taking care of ourselves as much as we are because we can't really help others if we're not helping ourselves first. So uh, that was uh, the main point of uh, Purposeful Connections. I want to thank Becky, who runs it every year and uh, does an amazing job. I was blown away with the individuals that she brings every year. And this year I got to see Coffrey again, and, and Brady was there, and Josh Robbins, and I'm just trying to name a, th- a few. Uh, Camara was there. I got to meet some new individuals like Jesus and um, uh, John Manuel. Uh, was there who uh, wrote a book that I was able to pick up, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later, called Stonewall Strong. Uh, an main, amazing individual who started off as a writer, writing about the epidemic and his friends uh, dying from the disease, then finding himself diagnosed, and then continuing to write about his story. So uh, the book is called Stonewall Strong. Uh, it's a gay men's heroic fight for resilience, good health, and a strong community. Uh, John Manuel. Uh, Andrade uh, is his name, and you can look that up or find it on our Facebook page. I'll, I'll post uh, some information about that, about that book, too. Um, I met uh, so many amazing individuals there dealing with so many different um, health conditions. Um, and I met this one amazing woman named Megan Johnson. Uh, she's 24 years old, and she deals with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and she is a YouTuber. Uh, if you go on YouTube and look up the front butt, YouTuber. That's correct. I said it. The front butt B-U-T-T YouTuber. 
Um, and you can learn all about the amazing work that she does. But she has inspired me to do some wonderful things down the road, um, and she's an amazing individual, and I spent a lot of time with her. And, and Brady Del Mars, who was on the show probably a few weeks ago uh, in Tennessee, uh, very big with U equals U, and he was there. Um, and just connecting with him the whole weekend and experiencing Healthy Voices with somebody who's never seen it before, and this was my second year, so um, it, it was nice to be in that space and, and to see somebody kind of have that reaction that I had last year, like, wow, this is so amazing. Why aren't there more people here? You know what I mean? It, it was awesome. So um, you have to check it out, Healthy Voices. And, again, I want to say thank you to Becky and the entire Jansen team and, and everybody who was there. It was an awesome experience and so many amazing people. Um, two more people I just want to bring up quickly that I met. One one was Kevin Hines. Um, he uh, was somebody who was in the headlines a few years ago, I think in 2001. Uh, he tried to commit suicide off the Golden State Bridge in San Francisco and survived. And now he is a suicide awareness advocate and is an amazing individual. His book, uh, Cracked Not Broken, um, and he also has, I believe, a film out um, online that you can check out that may actually be in theaters as well. And then, of course, Barbie and Ken. I got to meet the my favorite Barbie and Ken. I, I met Barbie last year and immediately fell in love with her energy and who she was. And she deals with chronic pain and um, and, and and a whole bunch of other things. But she, her and her husband wrote a book together called Real Love and Good Sex. And it's for chronic pain patients and their partners. And uh, you can look that up. It's... Uh, Barbie Engel Taylor and Ken Taylor, amazing individuals who uh, do a lot of great things for for people. So enough with Healthy Voices. Let's move on to today's amazing guest. Uh, Jamil Eric Wilkins will be on the show shortly. I see him sitting on the line. Um, actually uh, came across Jamil on Instagram, I think was the first time where we connected. Um, I was familiar with his work and his image for the HIV equals campaign, but I wasn't familiar with him being a runner and, 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 you know, track, because that was something that I did when I was in high school. So I Im- immediately kind of felt this connection that like, you know, knowing what it was like to, to be in school and, and to run track and, and then they'll deal with this and, and still be, you know, an athlete. He is active, runs all the time. Um, we're going to, let's go ahead and bring him on. Jamil, uh, are you there with me now? <laughs> hello. Hello. I, I have you. Welcome to the show. I just, you know, I'm I'm amazed at what you do and that you still continue to run because I can't do that anymore. Um, but I ran when I was in high school, um, and that was kind of one of the first things that kind of uh, kind of gave me a connection to you as I felt like, oh, wow, look at this guy. You know, he runs track, and I did that when I was in school. And, and, and you still do it to this day, right? You're still out there running. Right. Uh, thanks for having me, Robert. Happy Sunday. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh... You mentioned self-care not too long ago, and <laughs> track was something I had before I was diagnosed, and I see it as my companion. It's the longest relationship I've had with any activity, and it was the thing that actually helped me uh, overcome self, uh, self-stigma and and deal with my HIV uh, diagnosis. So, so, uh, so I'm, I'm really started, glad that I get to keep going. I'm really glad. I'm sorry, say that again. I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm done. No, I was going to say, so you started running. Uh, well, we, we spoke a little bit before the show in, in 10th grade. 
Um, I actually started running track probably my freshman year in high school. Um, I, I was a soccer player, and then when I got into high school, soccer became a little political. It was a who you knew. And the track coach was like, hey, you know, you're really fast. Why don't you come out and play? You know what I mean? And that's kind of how it started. And I, I was a total sprinter. Um, I couldn't do long distance. I did the hurdles. What was, what was your, uh, I guess, your race or what was your, uh, you know, individual thing that you, you did in track? <laughs> it sounded like we had the same coach. My coach, I was a skinny sophomore, and I don't know why he put me in the hurdles, but he just said, oh, he said, I've, I've, never, I've never ran track. And he said, oh, I'm just going to throw you in the hardest thing that we have. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. I just want to run. And uh, I didn't know at the time that the hurdle would be a strong symbol for me. Uh, but I can tell you yeah. that when I first started, uh, the first thing that happened to me was that my knees went out and I couldn't run for a while. And uh, I remember leaving my trainer's office and uh, he was, he was he was this out of this world guy who would always sit on he would live on cloud nine basically so he was uh so whatever he said was kind of it went over your head a lot but you knew that it was said with uh uh with purpose and his the intention behind it was good and whatever he said it just stuck with me uh because i ended up going upstairs to my locker setting myself against it and dropping to the floor and just thinking, I want to make this work. And that would have been a great opportunity to say, well, this isn't working out, so let's move on. But for some reason, I wanted to just can keep doing it. And it's something that has become me. It's what I'm known for, and I'm not letting it go. You know, it's funny that you um, that you brought up the hurdle as like a symbol and how it kind of resonates now with you. and, and it always has, and I never really thought of it that way either. You know, as somebody who hurdled through high school, I, I always thought of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. You know, I just kind of had like a, an aha moment when you said that, that that could kind of resonate with, you know, me and, and anyone else who may be, you know, on the started off the same way. Did you, you so you did the, did you do the 110 or you, you did the 400 hurdles, right? I did both actually. Now I just stick to the 400. Uh, I just <laughs> more uh, more inclined to go endurance than uh, than power right now. So uh, this just what worked out for me, and uh, I'm I'm really proud that that's where I am right now, and uh, and I love it. And uh, even going back to it being a symbol, because now I'm approaching uh or getting my uh my tenth year of living with uh, with HIV. Ten years in actual time may not seem like much to some, but in my mind, uh time reposing a better repository. So the passing of one decade took on a matter of rare meaning in the form of clearing those ten hurdles in the race. And what I mean by that is I age as I move along. And although the hurdles may appear to be the same, I'm challenged with giving 
my all each time as I grow more tired by the end. And HIV and aging, as long-term survivors will attest to, are both associated with depression and isolation. With someone living with the virus, risk becoming more isolated as they age, which can elevate the potency of their condition and aggravate other maladies that we recognize as opportunistic infections. So clearing the first hurdle, I see it is very important. It sets the tone for how the rest of the race will play out. So what I, whatever I did in my first year living with HIV, it's really having a strong impact on where I am right now. So how did you deal with your diagnosis? Take me back 10 years ago and, and tell me how that went for you. Because <laughs> uh, now I want to know how you, how, you, how you were able to do that because, you know, somebody could be listening and they're newly diagnosed and they're thinking, you know, they're, they're placing the self-stigma on that society has put on us and, and having the thoughts and, you know, like how did you manage to get over that hurdle when most of us feel like it's impossible? Uh, okay, so uh, I mentioned that I was a runner before I was diagnosed, and that really stuck. That is what really stuck with me is uh, is what I is who I became as a runner because I I had this sense of empowerment or or strength and. That is all I knew by the time I was diagnosed with HIV. And it was really hard to digest it at first. Uh, I was actually in denial, though, because I felt felt so superior at the time. I felt like I was unstoppable. And then I'm hit with this life-changing news, and I'm thinking, no, that's, this thing doesn't really have a place within me and uh it doesn't seem right that i have it because i'm a runner and nothing is going to stop me from being a runner and uh, so it's really hard to digest that and uh looking back uh denying it wasn't the best thing to do although and i don't even think it served me well at the time though but uh I know that by the time I found out, I was okay with it. Uh, or I wouldn't have to say okay with it, but I was in a good place to deal with it. Uh, so let me ask you this. How well educated were you at the time of your diagnosis? I was in I, regards not at all. To, in I, regards to HIV. Other than, what my, other than what I learned when I went to see my doctor, which was uh, – actually, I didn't know much because mostly he said I needed to – beyond some antiretroviral uh, therapy. And I said, no, no, I'm fine. Uh, you know, I have a strong immune system. I can handle it. You know, I don't need to get involved in all of that. You know, so I didn't know anything, and I wasn't willing to know anything. I didn't want to deal with anything that was going to take me away from what I considered to be normal for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what HIV was. It was just something that would distract me from uh, from being that athlete. Or what I thought it would have distracted me from being an athlete. And I'm going to come back, that whole distraction. Uh, but and I felt like our body was a vessel to anchor 
these unstoppable energies, you know, but it was also doubled as a host of virus that was just as ambitious. Uh, you know, so I kept running and I discovered that the virus never stopped working. And uh, but as a runner, and you, I'm pretty sure you remember this too, uh, you know, we learned to live, or I've learned to live my life in what we call negative splits, a term used to describe running. The second part of a race faster than the first. Uh, so runners gain the potential to accomplish negative splits when they break through a certain threshold of pain. As a result of my already being well adapted to work intensely for long stretches of time, I was equipped with the, the psychological and physical endurance that one gets from changing is pain response. Uh, so because runners have a higher threshold of pain, by the time HIV came into my life, it was seen as just another hurdle to clear uh, when I finally uh, accepted that it was something that wasn't going away and that's something I had to deal with. Uh, so my response to pain, I would say, disrupted this agenda of the virus to the point where my negative splits were illustrated through living each day better than the last. Hmm. And to to really answer your question, uh, it was really all about, uh, you know, just running track. And I really wanted to run tracks. And, and I said, uh, <clears throat> I was going to do anything possible to make that happen. And including accepting my diagnosis, uh, accepting that, this condition is within me. And uh, and that's when I started seeing my doctor more and learning more. But that was a couple years later uh, because then that's when I was really improving as a runner. Uh, and I said, all right, I need to do everything possible because I really care about this thing in my life that came before HIV. And I said, okay, I'm not going to let it interfere. And so I'm really fortunate that uh, – my friend Brittany in the tenth grade <laughs> said, "You should join a track team." <laughs> I did it. <laughs> no, that's good. Like you know, having um, a, a lot more passion for something like running track, or, or you know, for other people it might be shopping. You know, I'm just joking. Um, whatever it could be, um, <laughs> just, just having that passion, you know, it kind of allows you to to stay focused on something, but also allow you to remain focused on what's the HIV, you know what I mean, kind of on the, for me, you know, like the medicine and things of that nature, you know, because you're always going to be reminded as much as you focus on and, and dive into the, the thing that's going to distract you to keep you healthy, um, whether it's working out or whatever the situation may be, there's always going to be that reminder. So how do you, how do you deal with, I mean, you know, people, a lot of people deal with taking medication and, and having, um, necessarily uh, side effects, but just having that daily reminder is kind of the, the, the Debbie Downer of their day. Uh, does mm -hmm. that have an effect on you? Like when you take your medicine, does it, do you look at it as I'm taking medicine to stay alive or do you look at it as like I'm taking my vitamins or it's, you know what I mean? Like how do you, how do you deal with your, your medication? Did you, cause you said you didn't start right away. You felt like you're healthy you're a runner, you know, your, your, your immune system can do this. And I think actually I thought that as well for a while. But after a while, I, mm -hmm. the doctor is like, I think let's have this discussion. How did that work for you, like beginning, I guess, deciding when to start? 
Right. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, okay. So first I'm going to tell you how I started and then I'm going to tell you, uh, how I deal with it on a regular basis. So what it means. Thank you. Me. I kind of hit that backwards. <laughs> 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 or, or however you My want it the other way. I give it to that. If you no, no, that, you give it the way you said. <laughs> no, the way you said is fine. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, let's let's go back to when I first hurt my knees. When I when I oh, see, when I hurt my knees when I first started running track, uh, and uh, so runners this. Despite the evidence around my knees, uh, I was entirely convinced that that occurrence had put me in unfavorable position that I wasn't going to run. But even before officially becoming a runner, I had adopted the trademark reaction of subconsciously downplaying the severity of injury-related symptoms. All right, uh, mm-hmm. and just like HIV, that denial didn't last long. That is when I was hit with a series of questions uh, that ran through my mind. What did I do to des- uh, to deserve this? Uh, how could this have happened? What did I do wrong? This is my first time, so why me? And fast forward, you know, five years later, or yeah, five years after my HIV diagnosis, uh, the same questions reintroduced themselves when I was presented with that life without life changer because I uh, that's when I remember being in my being in my bedroom and uh, I just started having these night sweats and uh, I feel like the same thing that empowered me was the same thing that encouraged me to have unrealistic expectations so that's when I had uh, weakness and strength and loss of weight and, and night sweats. And then I was, and I finally realized that the HIV was taking its toll. So uh, I was by myself and I could barely get out of bed. And I was thinking back to that moment, I was in high school and I first started running track. The moment when I had the ice around my knees and I dropped to the floor, and whatever reason, I decided to move forward. And I said, "All right, this is just like that moment. I need to get up out of bed, and I need to do whatever it takes because I want to run again tomorrow." And every runner knows there's one final kick at the end of the race, and if you know, I was racing at the moment, this would have been that kick. Uh, having to get out of bed and walk a mile to my nearest uh, uh, clinic and say, all right, I need help right now. And uh, so that's when, <clears throat> that's when pride and, and, and whatever else goes out the window because all <laughs> I cared about was running the next day, no matter what I had to do, or no matter, uh, you know, what I had to to give up in order to do it, I was going to run again. And uh, that's when I started. And I think that was, I think that was, yeah, it was, yeah, five years ago. And 
that's when I started my medicine. And even now when I take it, it's, I take it with my vitamins. So it's just, uh, it's honestly no big deal for me. Uh, yeah, I take it, I swallow it and it's over. And every time I think that this is the thing that's, uh, supporting me and, and suppressing this virus and helping me be a runner, continue being a runner, just like my vitamin C helps, my vitamin D helps. This is just one more thing that helps me uh, stay a runner. That's all I care about. That's awesome. If that answers your question. I think it's awesome that you're – no, I think it's awesome that your passion to to run and, and to be that, that you know, that athlete, that person out there hurtling and, and to just – it's gotten you to, to fight and to continue living. And, you know, it takes a while for people to find their passion, and you had that passion before, and, and it hasn't affected any of your running at all, has it? No, it hasn't. And uh, that's, that's what I'm really proud of is how I'm improving as a runner and uh, and how there's really – I really don't see a difference. I really see myself. Uh, I'm really glad we uh, we have the medication because it it helped me just be on par with uh, with those who aren't living with HIV, and it just helps me. Li- I don't want to say live a normal life, but it just helps me live my best life uh, every day uh, because I remember the alternatives to to where I was now. Though you know, not being able to to sprint, you know, as opposed to uh, uh, being being in bed and and being happy and being half dead. So uh, you know, so I'm really glad I get to take my medicine every day, and I'm in a position to do that uh, because I want to be standing right now. Uh, but and there was actually a great book written similar to that or similar to this uh, by Michael Michael Callan, Surviving AIDS. Uh, and he interviewed people with AIDS about why they thought they were alive. And he found that those who have survived the longest shared three important traits. Uh, one, they believe survival was possible. Uh, so in my case, I don't, not only do I believe it's possible, but you know, I believe that I deserve it. So, uh, so I don't see a problem in taking those. Uh, so, you know, I deserve to survive. I deserve to be alive. But two, they could identify a reason to get up in the morning. For me, uh, hitting a new personal best in track was a reason to get up in the morning. Uh, you know, and even now there are a couple other reasons, but uh, that was a that was my main thing. And and three, uh, when they were asked how they treat the illness, they had a list of different strategies. Uh, so, if we were to, if we, and this was in the '90s, so if we were to come with something now, you know, I would even, I wouldn't call it surviving AIDS. I would say I would call it thriving with HIV or something because uh, I think we're in a better, we're in so much better position now, and that's why I love athleticism because it takes us to a new degree of challenging. HIV, and which is why I love the group, 
the uh, positive pet labels is because it not only shows the standing, it shows us uh, exceeding expectations, going you know above and beyond uh, just surviving. You know, we're actually living. We're actually putting ourselves before our condition and saying, uh, you know, we're we're human and we deserve to live our best lives and no condition, our condition will not say otherwise. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think of someone living with HIV or AIDS, they immediately think of what it was like back in the 80s and the early 90s when people were dealing with wasting syndrome and people were dying and they don't see athletes. Mm-hmm. They don't see people who are, I mean, that's why like, I, I, I love when I hear somebody who is like, out there who has a platform to come out and say, share their status and, and use their platform in, in, in the right way. Um, and, and I just think it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and they don't view athletes as people living with HIV because they, they see one thing, you know, they envision one thing because they live in the past. And that's why we need people like you. We need more Jamils to come out and break the mold and to show people that, you know, HIV isn't a skinny, scrawny person. It's somebody who can take care of themselves and live a healthy life. Um, I do want to take a quick break and play some of our positive messages from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. And then when we come back, I want to talk about more of those stigma-busting organizations and groups that you're a part of, um, like Positive Peddlers that we were talking about. So we will be right back with Jamil Eric Wilkins. Uh, Give me a couple minutes. Let's see if I can get my thing to play. And it looks like it's not going to. So we're going to take a quick refresh of the page. So, Jamil, as I'm waiting for the page to refresh, because for some reason it isn't mm-hmm. playing for me, um, I want to ask you, uh, how did you get involved with Positive Peddlers? So, it, I was first involved with the Breaking AIDS Ride, and it's a group uh, hosted by uh, Global Impact Productions, and we support housing works and the work they do for uh, the homeless and people living with HIV. And uh, I remember it's, it's, you ever think that, or you ever feel that uh, we put something out to the universe, it comes back to you. So I was thinking that, huh, I really want to do something uh, uh, meaningful <laughs> right now in my life. And this was, I think, four years ago. And then I walked into the TD Bank in Hoboken and I saw the flyer. The Breaking AIDS Rise Fly. I said, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And mm-hmm. I did the ride. And the first year, uh, first year was, it was powerful. And what I love about the ride is that, uh, is that you really get to see yourself through the other people because everyone, everyone just loves you, you know, as, as a person. And, you know, there are a lot of people, there are men, women uh, living with HIV and not living with HIV, but people are, are there to support this this goal. And uh, and I really love being part of that, though, because one thing that I really, uh, one thing I really took away from being part of the track team is a uh, sense of community. And uh, 
I love, you know, I love being a sprinter because I had my own, I had my own lane to run in. It was mine. But at the same time, I had people on the sideline cheering for me. Uh, and that is what I love. I love that sense of community. And with the breaking age ride, that's what I got. And then from there, I discovered that uh, there were positive peddlers who were part of the group. And said, oh, this is great because, you know, there's just a group of people dedicated to cycling or using cyclists to be, to eliminating the stigma by being a positive public example, by saying, you know, we're out here, uh, this is us, and we're doing our thing. And uh, I love that. And that's when I got, that's when I got into cycling. Now. That's when I took a little break from competitive uh, running to uh you know, just to hang out. And then I just, and then I got into cycling and then that's the breaking age where I did the positive covers. And, uh, and I really, I really love that, that attitude and that mission. And like you said, people were seeing us as healthy individuals. You know, this is what it looks like to live with HIV, you know, to be able to ride a hundred miles a day uh, and be all right. Well, that's incredible, 100 miles. So, wow. I, I've always seen it. I've had uh, our, our friend here at the show, Jack McEnroth, I know he, he has had a Breaking Age ride uh, page and, and I think a team or something like that and has been involved in that. And um, mm-hmm. he spoke, uh, you know, on that before. And I think we've had a few people. We've had a, from Pod Peddlers on. Um, actually, I think one of my first guests, I forget her name, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl something, uh, Pod Peddlers. She was on the show. Um, and and she spoke about how that you know that unity and that team um, of having that connection with people. Now, when you do the rides, you know, for me, you know, I, I I'm a conference guy. I like going to the conferences, and the rooms are great, you know, and, and the purpose is coming together. But it's more of the intimate conversations that I have with the activists one on one, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. um, you know right before dinner or or wherever it is down, you know, wherever we're at. Do those kind of intimate conversations happen when you're on these rides? Or like, cause I, I've never been on one, so I'm not sure how they work. Are you just riding and then getting in a hotel, or how does it exactly work? You know, we are so tired by the end of the day that uh, intimate conversations—they <laughs> <you know, laughs> well, they would usually come after eating, but it's—I feel like the ride itself is intimate. You know, we had this uh-huh. unspoken understanding uh, just by riding with each other, you know, that sort of speaks for itself. But yeah, we do end up yeah. sharing our stories, our lives, and getting to know each other. But uh, you really, this is also about you, that you really understand someone when they share that same pain with you or that same experience with you. And uh, right in the day, we're just all, you know, we're just we're just sore, and you know, we can just look at each other and and just get it, you know, just look at each other and just take ourselves, you know, like I get it, you know. Um, but then, uh, you know, then after that, you know, we're having dinner, and then some people get up and share their stories, which is, and you and if you watch the video on the uh, Breaking Age Ride uh, website. Uh, I believe there are some clips there from people sharing their stories. Uh, and 
a, it's a magic moment. And I would even say that as part of a strategy for, uh, for surviving, you know, include something like that, include uh, that sense of community or uh, conversation uh, because of the fact that we're in a position to, uh, to work with each other, to ride with each other, to talk to each other. That really helps us uh, overcome uh, our condition and the stigma as well. So along with, you know, taking, you know, whatever medicine we have to take and, and, and exercising, you know, just including in your survival strategy, it's AIDS, uh, community and conversation. Uh, that's, that's what we, no, I, that's what we I, take away. Yeah, community and support is really important. Uh, a question coming to us from Twitter is they're asking, um, what made you decide to become public with your status, and how did your friends and family react? <laughs> uh, just funny, though, because I, <laughs> I never really <laughs> sat down with my, you know, my family and said, I'm living with HIV. It's more like, I'm going to do the ride, and... Uh, I want people to know why this is important to me. So I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. Uh, because then again, I didn't just like with, uh, just like the reason I decided to get medication for my, 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 my condition, uh, because I wanted to run track, not caring about how I sounded or, or, or anything, or, you know, not caring about my pride. This in this case, I didn't care about my pride either. I didn't care what any what anyone felt about me or what anyone would say. I just wanted to get the message out there that this is important. What this work that we're doing is important, and this is how I'm involved in it. So I'm going to put my status out there, see what happens, and actually got a lot of support for it. Uh, because a lot of people were surprised because they said, oh, you're so healthy and you're doing all these things. I would have never guessed. I said, uh, well, that, I guess that's the point of fighting. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, yeah, and I remember uh, I was I was talking to of Blake and you know she was really saying how much my my supporters uh, would appreciate like, you know me sharing my story or how important it would be for them to uh, understand that special connection I have with the ride and I said uh, and she's so wise she's wonderful Blake if you're listening you're so wonderful uh, and she was right because you know I'm glad I put it out there though because. And it was in that moment that I realized it wasn't about me. You know, I wasn't writing for myself. I was writing for those who couldn't write at the moment or who couldn't talk about their their uh, uh, their condition. And you know, I said, all right, if I put myself out there to make it easier for others, I'm going to do that, and uh, I'll deal with whatever comes from it. But uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, though. You know, I don't even know why I even thought it was. I 
because uh, I need a lot of support. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. You know, sometimes the people who you think won't support you really show up and step up to the plate and do. Um, it's, it's amazing. Right. You know, the stigma kind of all starts with us. Um, you know, in our own heads, it's kind of like how we look at ourselves and it kind of, you know, uh, shines out to others. Uh, so I kind of felt like once I was okay with it and I felt confident, then I was able to kind of like tell everybody and, and not kind of give a hoot. Have you gotten any right. um, negative reactions from anyone that you run with? No, I honestly, I never know who knows. Uh, yeah, I don't tell people personally. Uh, it's right. It's, it's public, but I don't really know if my teammates know. But it's just, uh, but finding out is something that's not really important to me. Uh, yeah, because I'm never, I never put them at risk. Uh, you know, I always tell my actual partners, but I never. Right. So anyone who's never at risk, uh, especially since it's public information, and and to even go back to what you as you asking about family and and, and friends, uh, I would say to anyone who is listening and who does find out, you know, that someone you love is or they care about has been diagnosed with HIV. Um, one thing that my friends like me is. You know, why didn't you tell me? And I was thinking, well, because when someone is living with HIV, uh, it's not about you. Uh, it's about them dealing with it on their own and then being comfortable enough to share it with other people. Uh, so, you know, just keeping that in mind that some people need time, uh, you know, and it's important to meet them where they are and let them deal with it in their own way and come to you in their own time. Well, that sounds like a great way to end the show. Uh, we got a few minutes left. Um, what do you have coming up with? Do you have any uh, events coming up or anything going on that you want us to send some good positive vibes your way? Or <laughs> Since all of you are wonderful your positive vibes to the Breaking AIDS Rise family uh, because this year we're not riding from Boston to New York. We are riding from Cooperstown to New York City to honor an AIDS-free New York by 2020. Wow. Yeah. And where can people go to do that? They can go to jamileericwilkins.com and if they want to ride, they can go to breakingaidsride.org. There you have it. So they can go there to make the donations and they can find you all on social media just by searching your name or by going to our show and it is linked um, across everywhere so people can find you and all that good stuff. Jamil, thank you so much for coming on today and sitting down with me and sharing some of your amazing insights. Thank you for having me, Robert. This has been a highlight of my of my Sunday. <laughs> Mine as well. Mine as well. Fast in the future, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I will. You too. I'm sure you up there. Uh, cheers. Have a 
wonderful day. Thanks, you too. And there you have it, folks. So I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. I want to thank our guest, Jamil Eric Wilkins, for joining us. And remember, go to his, uh, his website, jamileericwilkins.com. You can find information for making donations for his page. And I just want to uh, end out with the show. So, again, join me next week for a special a guest surprise. Uh, tune into our social media for information. And my outro isn't going to work, so let me refresh the page so I get a little bit more love. Um, yeah, so we'll do that. And I just want to thank you all for tuning in.